Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to let you know about the ADHD Women's Palooza, February 5th through the 10th. Here's my friend Eric Tivers to give you all the details. Hey, it's Eric Tivers from ADHD Rewired. Have you heard about the ADHD Women's Palooza? It's this wonderful online summit with over 30 of the top ADHD experts talking all about women's issues and ADHD. It's taking place February 5th through the 10th. I'll be there talking about perfectionism right before Ned Hallowell's session all about how to know if your ADHD meds are working. All sessions are free to attend live or can catch the replay for up to 24 hours after the event completely free. Encore packages are available to purchase so you can watch or listen to the sessions when it fits your schedule. To learn more and to register, go to ADHDrewired.com slash palooza. That's ADHDrewired.com slash palooza. That's P-A-L-O-O-Z-A. Thanks, Eric. I know I'll be checking it out, but first, I've got a show to do. Welcome to episode four. In today's episode, we're talking to Dan and Stacy. They're a couple from the Pacific Northwest, and as you'll hear, their family is steeped in love, giggles, and ADHD. We'll be discussing how a child being diagnosed with ADHD can lead to a parent being diagnosed as well, the importance of routine and belonging in managing ADHD and overcoming fear at Disneyland. All right, let's get rolling. I guess we can just start broadly and we'll get a little more specific as we go. How does ADHD affect your family? Who in your family has it? What does it look like? I do. <laughs> and, uh, and our oldest son, three years ago, maybe two years ago, we were hearing some you know, feedback that seemed to be consistent from his teachers. And uh, we decided to actually follow through and get him evaluated. And it was through the evaluation questions that the parents get asked about the child that they started looking very familiar to me in my own life. And so that's what triggered me going and getting evaluated. He was diagnosed with it. And um, before we put him on medicine because of all the fears and whatnot, I decided, well, if I've got it, I want to try be the guinea pig in the family to become happy, satisfied, confident that the medicine will actually be helpful and not hindering. And so that's how it worked out in our family. Right. And I'd say for me too, I think everybody has some components of ADD in their life that's not exclusive. And, and maybe our youngest is exhibiting signs of that too, but we're watching to see. But I've been pretty well self-managed, so I haven't needed to do anything in particular other than drink coffee. Mm -hmm. yeah. Coffee's my friend. Yeah. Just to clarify, Stacy. um, for the sake of being certain, we decided to let her go get evaluated as well. And so she might have ADHD, but she's been doing fine self-managing. So mm -hmm. did not recommend uh, any medicine or, or give her a diagnosis that would give her the uh, 
the, the prescription. And just to round out our family, we have also a younger child who, you know, if he does have it, we haven't gotten to the point where we feel like he needs to be evaluated. Like teachers saying, you know, he's behaving or exhibiting things uh, in class that uh, would need to be evaluated. So there's four of us, three have been evaluated, two are on medicine and one has not yet. Yeah. And I think essentially we both have our own mini me's with our kids. One is more like Dan and one is more like me. And your boys are 10 and six? Correct. And the 10 year old is the one who's been diagnosed. Yeah. And that would put him in fifth grade? Yes. Very good. Mm -hmm. So how, how does it make things harder? What are the challenges that you face? Stacy and I, I mean, I've always had ADHD. So Stacy and I have related to one another from sort of that normal, but didn't know it necessarily. When we had our first child, we didn't necessarily know what was harder. It just Mm -hmm. always has been. Now, what makes or how does ADHD make things hard when we can compare against other kids or other parents' struggles? Like, what do we struggle with? Is it more difficult? And I think we haven't necessarily known a family life without ADHD. There are times where we feel frustrated or exasperated. I want to say exhausted and exasperated at the same time. Exasperated works. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like guesstimating, conjunctive word. And the things for us have been needing to go places, needing to do things, getting attention. It's time to eat dinner. Um, Your story of getting us all to come to dinner. Oh, boy. Um, So I I probably don't want to invest too much time in making a gourmet meal because by the time they sit down, it's pretty cold. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're all distracted with something, including my husband. So there's, there's two perspectives. There's going through ADHD with your kids and managing that, but also your husband who gets lost in his zones, he's doing something that completely sucks him in. And how do you pull him away from that is a big challenge for me. I might be watching a YouTube video or an email or answering one. Yeah. Usually it's on a computer. So let's go with that. How do you bring him back? (laughs) Sometimes I just want to sit down and eat my meal hot and have them show up when they want to, but that's not always going to be the best solution. Um, Usually with my oldest son, I have to oftentimes walk over and physically just touch him on the shoulder to get his attention uh, because yelling is not best strategy. It's, you don't want to be fear-based in our house. And that also cuts through. Yeah, that, that seems to work the best for him. You know, that's not always the option in school for getting his attention. But yeah, we do that. But sometimes we resort to, turn the TV off. It's time for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and then we realize it doesn't work and have to walk over. What about with Dan? (laughs) Sometimes the same, you know, if I shout down the stairs, because that's usually where he's working, I'll just walk down and just make sure he sees me. So even if it's not physical touch, it's, hey, I'm here, it's dinner time. There are other things that we do, and it doesn't matter what it is. If there's me saying it's time for dinner, then I usually get more attention because I have a, a, a bolder voice. And your dad. But they're both very obedient kids. I mean, they really do respect the order of authority in the house mm-hmm. in terms of like, they're the kids and we're the adults. Um, if we say no, they get whiny. Like they don't just think, oh, well, it doesn't matter what you say. So there's at least that going for us. In the case of pulling attention away from the television or something that they might be lost in, I count backwards from 10. And it works really, really well, no matter what it is. And when counting down, I think of that as being like a timer. We've learned that reminders and having an external source tell you what it's time for and when it's time 
is really, really helpful for both of our kids. And for me, knowing that the clock is ticking and that there is a deadline and I get the regular reminders, like looking at the clock time after time after time after it's approaching um, or working in short time bursts, those are good. But from the TV standpoint, counting down from 10 to one usually gets action and they know exactly what they need to have done by one. Just knowing that they're started, the fact that I've started counting by 10, 9, 8, oh, 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 oh. Seeing movement is the thing I'm actually looking for. So I don't always have to get to one. It sounds like you're looking for compliance, not completion, right? Like you want to see that they're headed towards the kitchen. And even if they're not in their seats yet, that's okay. Yeah. When it's time to start moving towards dinner, it's not that I say, okay, boys, go sit down for dinner, where they then have to think I have to turn the television off. I have to get up and go up the stairs and wash hands and whatever. No, it's like, okay, boys, pause the television so that you can get ready for dinner. And then when they're starting to comply, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. And then they know the rest and they typically do. They don't need to be told, okay, now that you've done that, go wash your hands. Another routine that's practiced and habit. It's just getting them started. It's good too that you've put your trust in them. You're starting to move in the direction I need you to move. I can trust you to do the rest. So you're not sort of micromanaging all the way through. Did you wash your hands? Did you grab your napkin? Are you doing all the things you need to do? You can expect that they will. That's awesome. Yeah. Although I think that that's, it's not so much a trust thing as much as, and yes, there is trust, but they've practiced it enough. It's every single day. It's the breaking from what they're focused on so that they can do the routine that then lands at the table, food in front of them and getting ready to eat. Of course, wait for everybody else before starting and stuff. But it's that changing direction. And it's very small. So that's the one thing that I focus on when I'm counting down. Once they get started, they know the rest. And it's the same thing getting ready for bed. They know the pajamas, we give them a glass of milk before going to sleep. And then they brush their teeth, they wash their hands, go to the bathroom, get a book, do some reading. Maybe one of us, Stacy or I, will read to them and, and the tucking in and, and we're both Christians, so we uh, pray at night with them. Um, we really give them a lot of time and attention, but it's that whole routine. It's, it's just getting it started, but it's a very different animal as well because there's a whole lot of distraction between each other and they'd start playing. And I've worked with clients whose kids will, will use the example of going from TV to dinner and that kid will gladly disengage from the television and start heading towards dinner. But if he walks by a book, you know, he's going to pick up that book and start flipping through it. And all of a sudden that routine got disrupted. Mm-hmm. So right. does that ever happen for your guys? All the time. And that's one of the things that we've um, been challenged with is the time management portion for them and trying to figure that out and to have allowances for the fact that they are going to get distracted along the way and just be okay with that. I mean, there are times when we have to rush them, but for the most part, it's a, a lesson in patience for us to allow them just to be who they are as long as it, they're in a safe environment and there's no concerns about that. And sure, they go to bed 10 minutes later or 15 minutes later, but it's not the end of the world. And how do you redirect them when they do get distracted by something? There's a few different tactics. One, we can do the countdown. Mm-hmm. So we really are micromanaging or ask a question. Is that helping you? to sit down and eat or get ready for dinner or get into bed or ask, you know, whatever the reward is, what are you going to do if you don't do X, Y, and Z? Are you going to get to read a story? 
you know, there, there's kind of the reward of finishing or getting to the finished or the intended task. Oftentimes, if it's going to bed, for instance, if they don't get finished by a certain time, in hindsight, it was their decisions or their choices that resulted in no reading of the story or you know, needing to turn the lights out right away or something. Stacy's right. They, they're not immune from distractions. They will still have moments where they just want to do this one thing, dad. Oh, it's no big deal. I'm just <laughs> going to do this one thing. For 20 minutes. Yeah. Stacy and I are guilty of doing that too. They're, I mean, they're just monkey see monkey do. Uh, they're little recorders of us. And they use the same language, the same tactics, the same excuses that we give. So we have to stop what we use and counter. Like, really, mom? Yeah. Mom, I can't mom believe, said that a few times. I can't believe you said that. And she goes, really? And that's what our sons use at each other. <laughs> well, they can't, it, it, it's they, meant to it say, in the end. it's meant to say that I can't believe you're doing that. Like you're distracted yeah. by X, Y, Z. Really? That's not a good choice. Because you're not doing it the way mommy wants you to. <laughs> so it sounds like they're redirecting them each other. Yeah, a bit. Yeah, they're micromanaging or they're at least crit being critical and shaming one another. Our older one micromanages our younger one. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I was also going to say that, you know, during the process where we're trying to get their attention or get them away from something, a lot of times just, do you know what you're supposed to be doing next? as a way to redirect them, just to make sure they hurt us. That's a great question. Right, because oftentimes it's sitting in their brains, they're just doing something along the way. They just forgot that it was in their brain. Mm -hmm. Or decided not to let it be the first thing on Yeah, it wasn't, the it wasn't shiny list. and exciting. What is ADHD adding? No lack of adventure and excitement around the house and creativity and giggles, yeah, for sure. Big time. It is amazing how quickly giggles start. And I think, you know, 20 years from now, when I'm old and they're out of the house and, you know, have their own families, how this house will have uh, the life of those giggles in the walls, that just that perspective. So I, I look forward to, and I like the giggles, um, but I also hear it as a, as a sign of they're not doing what they should be. And I have to be careful not to squelch it too much, but I do, um, I do use that as a barometer, <laughs> knowing that if they're not doing what they're supposed to be, it probably has giggles attached to it. But when they're free to be loose and not micromanaged um, on a specific task in, in a specific amount of time, you know, really tight and highly focused, then, then it's okay and the giggles are just always there. So is the crying because somebody gets hurt bumping heads, sword fighting. Mm -hmm. oh my, gosh. Mm -hmm. my kids just stub their toes all the time. Every day they stub their toes at least five times and it's a huge deal. I'm like guys, just put shoes on. Like just yeah. put on slippers or shoes or something and protect your toes. And they just don't believe me. Do your kids like to run around outside barefoot? Sometimes, not as often as they do inside. Our kids will noticeably do that. Definitely even, during the summer, but even now, running to the neighbor's house barefoot. Yeah. It's I cold. mean, in the middle of fall, we don't have freezing temperatures in our area, but yeah, it's 40 degrees 
outside and a 10 year old will wear shorts all the time, all seasons and flip flops. I know I need a pair of pants on when it's cold out. I actually would prefer to wear pants even in the summer just because it's my routine and I'm comfortable that way. It actually takes me energy to think about, well, am I going to wear shorts today or not? Do I have to put sunscreen on if it's summer or warm? So I'm just kind of in the routines. And that's another gift, routines. When you know how to do it, you know how to do it, and it just gets done. Uh-huh. Except when you're wearing pants in the summertime when it's 90 <laughs> degrees, which mommy does I don't understand, but that's okay. That's your thing. But when I don't know how to do the routine or I don't have um, something that I'm familiar with, it takes forever. Mm-hmm. So when, I'm, when there is something practiced and, and um, we know how to do it, it doesn't take very long. It's quick. It's easy. It comes naturally. Right. We can not think about it and actually multitask, not think about whatever it is that we're used to doing and then focus while we're doing it on something that matters. How about when those routines get disrupted? That's hard. You know, the, the major routines, like even just the familiarity with where we live, the thought of moving or going to a different school and meeting different people. And that's terrifying, especially to our kids, our ADHD kid. We talked about moving to a completely different area, careers in different countries or something. Mm-hmm. And the thought of moving to a place we know nothing about, it can be adventurous to the right person. But to him, that would be like, oh my gosh, I have to stop seeing my one neighbor friend <laughs> and not go to the same school. And yeah, it, uh, it's terrifying. And you know, depending upon the day, it can be very exciting for me. But that's when I'm not thinking about the things and the routines that I'm letting go of. Yeah, I think I'm more outside of the routines than my family. And I've had to try to learn to be more routine because I'm the adventurer. I'm the one that's moved a lot. I'm okay with change. But especially for my older son and my husband, that's hard for them. They dig their heels in. Do you get thrown off by the small things that mess up routines? And I'm, th- I'm thinking here about things like, like Monday holidays or snow days or something like that. I, I think we're less um, sensitive to those things and more of the relationships, the things that define us and give us boundaries, a sense of we're in the place that we belong. And it's people that really make us stable. And we have a community of people from our church that, um, that we host um, oftentimes at our home. And it's those relationships, the routines of seeing those people regularly and being able to check in with them and hear from them and, and hear their thoughts, their guidance, if, if there's something that we need advice from uh, or about. That's great that you've got that sense of community. That's, that's awesome. I think that, um, Yeah, definitely in the sense of community, in the sense of the organization of the environment that you're in, things being out of place or not expected is harder for Dan Mm -hmm. and my son. Can you go a little deeper with that? Dan has been, we've had lots of conversations about how to organize and structure everything down to the closet so that he knows exactly where something is because he'll never find it, even though I can find it because I know where it is. So we've had um, the challenge of how to organize our home and I've tried organizing our kids' rooms, but no matter how many times I make it awesome, it's done in one day. They completely go through like tornadoes (laughs) (laughs) and I say, that's okay. I just won't go in your room. And on that note, I've, I've had to learn 
to be okay with change. If a routine that I really rely upon changes, then it's work to learn where something went or how to adjust or adapt to it. When I create a structure or a routine, I'm trying to eliminate the need to remember everything. It just kind of flows naturally. Like in my medicine cabinet, I have a shelf where there's something on the shelf that I have to use or do. And I know that if everything's in its place, then I just follow the items that are on the shelf. It's like the breadcrumbs, like Hansel and Gretel, the way through a task or a path or the way back. And if I don't hit something because it's not on that shelf, then I don't know that I didn't do it. So like if your toothbrush has been moved, you just won't brush your teeth that day and might not even realize it. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I might remember later, but I also wondered, did I remember or not? And so that's an example. And, you know, at that time of morning when I'm going through my routine, I don't have the mental capacity to remember everything. I'm just kind of like cobwebs. <laughs> uh, I need that structure. And so the, the, the latter part of my morning um, includes uh, getting some cereal and pouring the milk in it and having some protein. So I have peanut butter on a piece of bread. Well, if my, my cereal box has literally been moved, I'm like, oh God, where <laughs> could it possibly be? Um, so, you know, that just gives you a sense of, of why behind it. But then take um, any chores or something. So ad hoc, I might need to vacuum or clean or sweep or whatever. If I don't know where the broom is, I can't do the task. And, and it's all about doing the task, not where's the broom. Because now the broom becomes an adventure and a task in itself. And I can't even get started on doing the thing I wanted to do. And now it's, it's challenging. And, and so I'm learning to live without having so many expectations around where everything possibly is because the downfall of that is that I get anxious or frustrated and then being frustrated and anxious does not help with the unity in the family. And that's more important to me. Right. Like I was saying relationships. So that's when I just have to be humble and ask for help. And I love the fact that you said that the broom becomes an adventure. That's so great what it triggered in me, what it brought up for me is I often will be working with parents who say to me, you know, he'll be doing his homework. And then all of a sudden he's just off looking for a stapler for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, cause the stapler became an adventure and it's way more interesting than the homework assignment was. So just <laughs> have a little carry all that's got a stapler in it, right? Where he does his homework. And a, yeah. That adventure. Maybe more of a misadventure. Right. Yeah, I think that's what I mean. So, you know, excitement about finding the, the stapler, I'm not happy to be looking for the broom because that's not the adventure to me. The adventure is the cleaning. Getting the task done is, is yeah. big for him because yeah. he's very task oriented. I, I was kind of laughing in the background because you were talking about chaos and how do you work in different environments and uh, moving to different places. And a lot of times I feel like I'm the executive function in the family for the entire family. And the biggest show of that is any event that we're having or if we're traveling somewhere, I'm packing for everybody and waiting, waiting for Dan at the very last minute to pack his stuff and get out the door. And I will literally 30 minutes before we need to leave. Less than that. Row stuff 
into a bag and go. I'm packed like several days before for I everyone. Will likely not remember a lot of things that I needed, but I'm more comfortable just not having to worry about something 20 different times as I'm going along. And oh, what did I forget? What, oh, what, have, what am I not thinking about? Because it consumes so much of me that it's uncomfortable. And when I'm forced by a deadline, then I know that at that deadline point, I'm done. And I don't have to sweat it anymore. Do you have any family stories that maybe aren't specifically ADHD, but through the lens of ADHD might illuminate themselves differently? You can talk a little bit about maybe fear with going to Disneyland uh, for our oldest son. So Stacy and I have been married for 12 years. And we knew in the first year of our marriage, we just wanted to be us. At just past the one-year anniversary, we knew we needed to start thinking about a family or children. And it's not a good idea to go on a roller coaster when you're pregnant. So Stacy's very high on roller coasters she yes, I can't go and just look from the ground I have to be on it <laughs> she's all over those so she's got an experience going on them a lot and I don't the last time I remember being brave enough to get on a, a carnival ride was in my youth I don't remember riding roller coasters and you know getting high on the thrill of them so for some reason I was just very anti roller coaster uh, and so in our marriage, she's like, no, I've got to get him on a roller coaster. I've got to get him on a roller coaster. She, so she kidnapped me from work to go on a vacation to Disneyland. Didn't tell me where we were going, but this was a, just the way she operates. She likes the surprise. And I wasn't so sure about the surprise. And so we were going to Disneyland and, you know, the California Adventure, uh, the Anaheim Disneyland, I was sweating bullets getting on that thing. But I knew you know, in our, in our marriage for us to get and have kids, we wanted to get that kind of thing behind us and ride a roller coaster together. So I'm not feeling very good about riding a roller coaster, but I got on it and I was like, I survived and I didn't feel like I lost my head or my stomach or anything else. And there's some other rides, a uh, tower of terror that just like, didn't very suit me very well, but I rode them and I got through them. So it was very anxious. Now, fast forward. About five years about ago. Five, uh, he was about five. Um, we had our second child and we had babysitters take care of him. So we went as a family, Stacy, me and our oldest, and we took him to the Radiator Springs Racers. So this is kiddie version of a roller coaster. And he had a, a, an upbringing of watching the movie Cars 30 times or something. Probably. I mean, just way too much. We got him on the, the ride and there's just a lot of action and, you know, confusion. What, what is this? And he was not happy to be on it. He was just, because it's unpredictable. His world is being rocked. He doesn't know which direction. And there's a whole lot of chaos in the beginning, lots of sounds. We wanted to ride it again and he would have nothing to do with it. Well, then we came back to Disneyland again later with both of our kids several years yeah. and he's now eight at this point he's bound to determine yeah i'm gonna ride it and then we get in line it's a whole different story he's like a three-year-old again or something and he's like no dad i don't think i really need to ride this <laughs> and i've got him on my back and i've literally gotta um tell him 
you're going to ride this and you're going to be brave and I'm going to be with you and really encourage him. <laughs> and he was really not very happy afterwards. He still was not very happy. Um, we're talking about it again, but it's, it's one of these things where he's got to overcome it. And so we're making it this like mission, be brave and confident and um, overcome fears because that is so prevalent in, in his mind. I've faced things in my life that when I face them again, I've got that same pent up anxiety that I really don't want to go through this. I really do not want to go through this. I, I know the end is going to come or something is going <laughs> to where I'm past it and through it. I'm recovered. Oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> and it was fine. And that's a great lesson to be giving to your son through the through the roller coaster of, mm-hmm. yeah, I get it. It's not comfortable. You're not excited about it. It feels pretty scary, but you'll survive and you'll be okay. And the fact that you're framing it in that way, I think is really commendable. That's awesome that you're taking that approach as opposed to the approach of like, no, just do it. You know, cause a lot of parents kind of stop it, do it. And they don't really go that next level of, because you're going to have to face stuff like this as an adult. And it won't be a roller coaster. Probably it'll be something else, but, but it's going to happen. Yeah. I'm still working on him though. I want him to be a writer, but I don't know if that's just a, a wish and a pipe dream there. But I do actually, I have a fun thing where I take him in the car and roll down all the windows and blast the heater and turn on the car soundtrack. And we do Radiator Springs racers. We race up onto the highway really fast and <laughs> the wind's blowing in their faces. So maybe someday. Driving, do the, driving the speed limit, of course. Of course. Yeah. No laws broken. Well, and you might get maybe the younger, your younger son will become the roller coaster rider. He's a rider already. Are there any specific or reoccurring struggles that you face? And if so, how, how do you overcome them? There's one that's uncharted territory. My son is currently facing, you know, he's fifth grade. So he's currently facing some challenges in friendships um, because he is um, more excited and kind of in your face. And he just has so much energy and he likes to explain everything. So um, we're trying to, to figure out that, like, how do we make sure that he knows that he's loved, that kids oftentimes can be exclusive? How do we how do we navigate that so that he doesn't deal with issues of depression? Um, mm-hmm. So we don't have an answer for that yet, other than just you know making sure to have those conversations with the teachers and with him, with one another, and surround him with other friends uh, beyond school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my working theory is to reinforce his sense of himself mm-hmm. and awareness of how he's different, but from that difference to be understanding of other kids and how they're different than he is so that he can see life as one that has multiple lenses that he may not be aware of what they're thinking, but he shouldn't necessarily expect that what he's seeing or thinking that they're thinking is true. So being that voice in his head that is affirming him and putting a different message in other people's mouths that he's hearing you know, it's, it's countering the things that he's probably taking in. We had a, um, an episode, um, episodes, a strong word, but we had an instance last week where we normally go to a church event on Wednesday evenings and he just was really sad. He did not want to go, you know, and I was really trying to encourage him to not kind of flake it off, which I was concerned with. And Mm -hmm. he exhibited um, a lot of emotion around his choice to not go. 
And at the end of the day, we didn't. And I decided that what I had planned for the evening, which was just to hang out and uh, kind of wait for the event to be done, and I would go pick him up. Um, I decided instead that I would spend one-on-one -on -one time with him because that would give me a chance to listen and hear what he has to say. So we went to a bookstore um, and hung out in the cafe and he was able to buy a book. He, he, was, he got to spend time with dad, which frankly is not enough. He doesn't get to spend as much time with me as I'd like. We're making efforts to change that though. And so this was an example of making changes in that regard. And so his countenance was just so much higher. He wasn't in tears. He was able to share why he was having a funky negative day. It had something to do with him having an expectation of himself being able to solve math problems. And he just couldn't do it. And he wasn't as fast as he wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, he was being critical of himself. Mm, absolutely. And then we trace that back to why. And he really loves reading. And when he gets started reading, he just can't stop. He is totally time blind. Oh, there's another page. Let me just keep reading. Oh, there's another page. I'll just keep going. And so at night when he's reading before bed, he just keeps going and going and going. He was up until midnight. And then he was up late again the next night, Tuesday. And so this was Wednesday afternoon that he was trying to do his math, he probably didn't have the mental capacity to remember the things he probably was kicking himself not knowing. And so sleep is important. Diet is important. Uh, medicine is important. All the whole balance, things that routinely, just physically speaking, affect you, um, I think are really important. And so it, when I say routines, I really mean how healthy they should be focused. It's not about finding the room. It's about, you know, getting enough sleep yep. and knowing where and how things are done so that I can remember to take my medicine and I can remember to brush my teeth and remember to shower. It's really self-care. That's what you're talking about is, is that self-care. Yeah. And, and we talk about having like a standard menu just so that we know that we're getting all the right vitamins or nutrients or whatever into our diets and at the right time too. That helps regulate me having protein in the morning, having another dose of it in the afternoon so that I can just mentally carry uh, through the day and not be comatose because I'm just so fatigued uh, by one or two in the afternoon. That's, that makes a huge difference having protein instead of a massive carb filling <laughs> lunch. I know that's a struggle in our house, especially in the morning. I'm like, guys, you got to have some protein. Like you got to have something. Often I'll, I mean, I'll give them like hard boiled eggs some bacon, some fruit, and then they just don't eat anything. But you also need to eat. What will go into your stomach? Can we have Cocoa Puffs? Oh, you're killing me, right? <laughs> not sugar, not yeah. sugar shock. No, thank you. We have a little family tradition where I'll, like, we'll have a thing of Cocoa Puffs. But, but what I like about it is it'll be in the evening. 6.30 at night, we've had dinner, homework is done, and now everybody kind of sits down. We all have Cocoa Puffs together. So like, that's awesome. That's a great time to talk and have a nice little moment, but it also means we have Cocoa Puffs in the house. Speaking of something at night, you know, we've got a lot of giggles and a lot of energy in our house. Uh, I forget how long ago we started it, but we want to get the wiggles out. So one way of doing that is to um, crank up the music in our house and make sure it's got a beat, close the curtains and just start dancing. <laughs> and we 
have so much fun doing that. It's kind of one of those family traditions that we don't do it every night, but we do try to do it. And the kids ask for it. And then they ask, can I ride on your back, dad? Can I have a piggyback mom? And that's some of the fun because they, they get moved around and jostled in, in random ways, things that they aren't, you know, unpredictably uh, for them at least. And yeah, it's, it's just lots of giggles. And when we can be a party to those giggles and burn some energy at the same time, you know, our fitness is, is improving because we're exercising too. Yep. And, uh, and we're staying engaged and we're a unit, we're a family and we're doing this activity together. Yeah. Uh, there's so awesome. many positive things that come out of that. It's so clear to me how much love is in your family. It's awesome. Mm. It's just, thank you. it's great to hear. So what have you learned? Like either as parents because of ADHD or just as parents in general, what have you been learning about, about this journey? I think, well, the biggest word we, we talked a little bit about this yesterday was humility as parents, just the journey of parenting and how our behaviors affect them or what we say and do affect them has caused us to eat crow quite a bit and make sure to say, hey, I'm sorry, mommy or daddy didn't respond in the right way. And we're maturing through this process as well, because nobody gives you the book that says how to do it all. There's lots of books out there, but none of them have it exactly right. So each family is different and we need to figure out how it works in our family and how to just be honest with our kids and mature in our own responses, including apologizing. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what I'd say is knowing that I have empathy for my son. I'm paying more attention to how, how I would feel if I told myself what I've just told my son. Okay. And remembering when I was, you know, criticized or um, misunderstood that I seek more deeply to understand my kids before I bark at them and have an expectation of them. And it's the same thing that I do with my wife. Before I say something or I have a judgment to pass or something, I have to consider what, what will that do to convey love? What will that do to make them feel better or you know smarter or Will it build them up in some way? There are lessons that you say, there are lessons you teach, but then there are lessons that you catch. Things are caught, not taught by actions, by experiences. Saying I'm sorry is demonstrating what we want our kids to do, to apologize, to own up to something that a choice they made or a choice I made. Similarly, being transparent and not afraid of sharing how we feel, having a strong sense of empathy towards what others might be going through, then frames how I respond or have expectations or assumptions about my wife, our kids. It really it goes into any other relationship too, starting with first asking, is that person having a good day or not? Mm-hmm. Or do they need something? Or are they struggling with something? And if they bark at me, Okay, maybe they're not doing so well today. So give them some space, tread lightly, and you know, re-engage. If there's a fear there, but don't walk up to somebody you don't know and assume that they're just like you. That's a great lesson to be giving to your kids, right? And modeling that with even something as basic as apologizing and taking accountability for a mistake that you made. That's that's huge. I give ADHD credit for putting me in a marginalized place growing up 
to have empathy for other people that are marginalized mm -hmm. and knowing that I want to serve, I want to help, I want to encourage, I want to love, I want to just be that. And it's more and more lately, it's starting to sink in that I've got to start that with my own family. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be going and helping a bunch of other people if I can't do that first and foremost for my wife, then secondly for my kids, especially for my ADHD kid. And when we have a really strong, unified family, then I know I'm ready to start doing that at that level for other people. That point about being marginalized and having a little more empathy as a result is a really valuable one because it can kind of go in one of two directions, right? If you've been marginalized all your life, you can sort of grow a little extra empathy or you can grow a little extra anger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's commendable that you've grown the extra empathy. I think that that's awesome. And the fact that you're helping to foster that in your kids is just makes it even more awesome. Don't hate. Hate breeds more hate, but love breeds more love. Mm -hmm. When somebody doesn't feel like they deserve it, uh, like myself, somebody gives me the grace and the love that I didn't do anything to earn, that just makes me light up and want to give it to some other people because of how much value I received from it. It's just a really great sentiment. And as we kind of come in for a landing here, what are some essentials that you think people with ADHD should know about? What would you say? A community is huge. Uh, knowledge and awareness of ADHD is huge. If you have kids in school, working with your teachers, making sure to get your child evaluated if you haven't, so that you can figure out the best strategy for your family. You just don't want to hide it under the rug and not figure it out. You want your child to live their fullest potential. Um, Dan talked about some of the other things like living a healthy lifestyle, diet, exercise, routine, setting up a consistent routine, trying to figure that out, uh, and bringing a lot of patience and love to the whole mix <laughs> is critical. And some laughter too. That'll help you get through some of the stuff. Yeah, I think the getting started with it all, when we first started learning about what ADHD is, it's daunting. And being ADHD facing what is ADHD, that question, just take it one step at a time. And simply put, I think creating repeatable habits uh, is the very first step, but do one thing at a time. And those things, when you get on that program or you get on that, that train, the next thing, then the next thing, then the next thing, then the next thing that will come and just focus on what you can at any one time. Don't be overwhelmed by it all. I would add, try to make sure that the routines you pick are backed up by science. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Throw that in there. Because there's some stuff out there that's just sort of magical thinking and that's not necessarily valid. <laughs> so thank you very much. This has been great. Um, I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.